the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Want to thank uh, James Blind for producing, Justin Mansfield for engineering, along with Dave King here in Portland, and Pedro Bartez engineering and producing in Seattle. Well, tens of thousands of AT&T customers have been reporting outages this morning and throughout the day for their home phones, internet, and mobile phone service, according to a, a down detector. Well, the outages started popping up just around 3.30 a.m. That's Eastern time, according to the uh, a graph shown on the website that tracks outages. As of 12.45 p.m. Eastern time, numbers of uh, reports had declined drastically to nearly 18,000 after spiking to more than 73,000 just after 9 a.m. Eastern time. Now, I am not AT&T, but my understanding is my provider uses AT&T facilities, and I've had difficulty throughout the day today with some of my uh, efforts to call, to text, and all the rest of it. Well, most users still impacted. 51% say that they were having issues with mobile phone services. More than a third of customers reporting being affected say that they have no signal at all. 8% of users said that their mobile internet was down. I shouldn't get a, a stimulus check for this, one man wrote on the website, suggesting, hey, this is pretty rough. I lost my cell service at 5.56 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, I was in the middle of working when I lost it, he said. Well, some of our customers are experiencing wireless service interruptions this morning. Our network teams took immediate action, and so far, three-quarters of our networks have been restored. We're working as quickly as we possibly can to restore service to remaining customers. Well, most reported locations of customers impacted are in the south and southeast. Down Detector also showed a spike in um, reported T-Mobile outages about 4 a.m. Eastern uh, Standard Time. AT&T Mobile spokesperson said that they didn't experience an outage and that their network was operating normally. A down Detector is likely reflecting challenges of customers who are uh, attempting to connect to users on other networks. Verizon had a similar explanation after some of their customers reported problems. Their network is operating normally, a statement uh, they made earlier in the day said. The Flagler County Sheriff's Office in Florida posted on X at 5.18 a.m. local time. Residents there were unable to call 911 due to that AT&T outage. They later updated to say text to 911 from affected AT&T users are now being received and that people should text if they're unable to call. They posted later on the, uh, that residents were still having difficulty calling 911, but that officials were monitoring the rapid SOS system, which they can use to uh, see who's trying to call and unable to get through. So it's been a rather interesting day all around the country, but primarily in the East. Meanwhile, GOP Senator Marco Rubio, he warned on social media that the AT&T outage affecting tens of thousands of Americans pales in comparison to what a potential China cyber attack would look like. 
I don't know the cause of the AT&T outage the Florida Republican posted on X today, but I do know it will be 100 times worse when hashtag China launches a cyber attack on America on the eve of a Taiwan invasion, end quote. And it won't be just cell service they hit. It will be your power, your water, and your bank. Again, a quote. Well, Rubio's warning came as tens of thousands of AT&T customers reported the outages I mentioned a moment ago this morning for their home phones, Internet and mobile phone services, according to Down Detector. The outages uh, started popping up at about 3.30 a.m. Eastern Time, according to the graph shown on that website. Most users, 54%, said that they're having issues with their phone service, and that continued through much of the day. Some of us are still having difficulty from uh, service providers using AT&T equipment. Meanwhile, pharmacies across the country are reporting delays to prescription orders due to a cyber attack against one of the nation's largest healthcare technology companies. Change Healthcare, the company that handles orders and patient payments throughout the U.S., first noticed the cybersecurity issues affecting its networks on Wednesday morning on the East Coast. Change Healthcare is experiencing a network interruption related to a cybersecurity issue, and our experts are working to address the matter. Once we become aware of the outside threat, or became aware, in the interest of protecting our our patients and partners, we took immediate action to disconnect our systems to present further impact, uh, Change Healthcare said in its statement. It added that we will provide updates as more information becomes available. Pharmacies across the country, they've put out notices that the attack on Change Healthcare is disrupting their ability to process patients' orders. We're experiencing a temporary pharmacy outage at the 22nd Medical Group. We understand the inconvenience this may cause and appreciate your patience as we work diligently to resolve the issue. Our team is working to restore complete pharmacy services as soon as possible, the Post read. From the 22 Medical Group website, a medical center based around McConnell Air Force Base in Kansas. The uh, estimated date for resolving this issue will be tomorrow or later. We'll continue to monitor the situation and provide updates on our progress. There's currently no publicly available report on the nature and the origin of this cybersecurity attack. But it certainly does put into perspective the challenge we face in this golden age of technology where we have the ability to communicate so simply and easily, but it also is very vulnerable. And these uh, two incidents, uh, as have others, really illustrate the challenge we face if, in fact, there were an effort to disrupt our way of life. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin flew on a nuclear-capable strategic bomber today in a likely move to flaunt Russia's nuclear capabilities in defiance of the West. Moscow said Putin took a brief flight on a modernized TU-160M bomber uh, codenamed Blackjacks by NATO. Well, state media showed Putin, 71, taking off in the giant plane from a runway belonging to the uh, factory of, in Kazan, which makes the supersonic aircraft. The plane landed less than an hour later. The Russian news agency TASS reported Moscow didn't provide specifics on its flight path, which is considered a military secret, according to a Kremlin spokesperson. Well, the giant swing wing um, plane is a modernized version of the Cold War era bomber owned by the former Soviet Union. And while it wasn't used during the uh, conflict, it would have deployed uh, uh, to deliver weapons at long distances, according to uh, Reuters. 
The 2-160M is capable of carrying 12 cruise missiles or at 12 short-range nuclear missiles and can fly approximately 7,500 miles without needing to refuel. It was just a few crew members on board. In 2005, the Russian president flew inside another version of the aircraft. Russia signed a contract in 2018 to purchase 10 modernized 2-160M nuclear bombers. They're expected to be delivered to the Russian Air Force by 2027. Each bomber costs about $163 million. The flight uh, comes just days after opposition politicians. Uh, Navalny was found dead in his prison cell and as Putin, who's seeking re-election in the Russian presidential race next month, is expected to easily win another six-year term. Again, warning the U.S. that they are prepared to go nuclear if they deem it necessary or in their best interest. Meanwhile, the 25th Amendment push is intensifying against the president, uh, says um, a, a, uh, Jill Biden the White House, from the White House after returning from Camp David. Democrats who constantly strategize to remove Donald Trump from office outside of the electoral process seem strangely quiet now that their guy is clearly asleep at the switch. That's a quote from Senator Mike Lee. Um, Members of Congress continue to suggest that President Joe Biden should be removed under the 25th Amendment to the Constitution, even after a psychiatrist who had led a national movement to oust his predecessor called cognitive decline normal. Well, special counsel Robert Hur issued a report you probably are familiar with earlier this month, finding that the president willfully retained and disclosed classified materials, but recommending against prosecution because of Biden's diminished faculties in advancing age and sympathetic demeanor. It is sad that it got to this point, but America desperately needs capable leaders in the White House. Senator Lee, the Republican out of Utah, told the Daily Signal in a written statement, the safety of our country is at stake. Democrats who constantly strategize to remove Donald Trump from office outside of the electoral process seem strangely quiet. Dr. Brandy X. Lee, a forensic uh, psychiatrist and no relation to the senator who edited the book The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, 37 psychiatrists and mental health experts assessed the president last week defended Biden in light of the Her report, saying cognitive decline is a normal part of aging. Uh, Lee said very high levels of cognitive decline can be present without affecting fitness for duty. Again, an about face from what he had to say about Biden's predecessor. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, but we will be back. Stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, was it a rigged system and does it pose a real threat to Donald Trump? Well, the former president has no has to pay a massive New York fine before he can appeal and the victory is not assumed in that appeal. Well, Donald Trump may be rich, but forking out more than $500 million hurts him. Well, even him, aside from the um, massive $83 million second defamation settlement award to E. Jean Carroll recently, the former president was hit Friday by New York Judge um, Arthur Ngoran with an utterly disproportionate fine of $355 million plus perhaps $100 million in interest for defrauding banks and real estate companies in New York City real estate deals. He has to pay that fine before he can appeal to the New York Court of Appeals, even though he may and should win that appeal. Well, Trump's Truth Social post was simple and to the point. Eighth Amendment, excessive bail shall not be required, no excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment 
inflicted. Well, obviously, this is an excessive fine because, as uh, we've noted here before, though he falsely inflated the value of his real estate holdings, sometimes flagrantly, this is a crime with no victim. Banks gave him loans after due review and re-evaluation. In fact, in those loans, he said, please check our work, look at it yourself, and determine whether or not we're uh, eligible for the loan. He repaid the loans. No one lost any money. If any fine at all was in order, it should have been a tiny fraction of what um, uh, in Gorin actually imposed. Now, on top of that, uh, he barred Trump for relating uh, business and loan applications in New York for three years and his sons for two years. Now, remember, this case began because when Letitia James ran for New York Attorney General, she campaigned in part on a promise to get Trump for something, anything. She'd uh, fill in the details later, finally setting, settling on a civil suit over a victimless crime. And in fact, by the way, those banks that loaned him money were prepared for and willing to loan him money again. Well, the legal outrage is apparent to non-Democrats. But again, the problem is that Trump is going to be out of a lot of money just to make his appeal. And he can't use campaign money to pay the bill. Basically, in the two relevant jurisdictions, a defendant who's been found guilty has 30 days to appeal. The legal expert Andrew McCarthy pointed out. But unlike in the criminal system, there is no automatic right to appeal civilly. Uh, Rather, a defendant has to post the amount of the judgment. Uh, And again, in this case, we're talking about $355,000 plus what he's already been fined, uh, plus interest in order to assure the court that the appeal is not simply for purposes of delay and that the defamation will pay up if he loses. Well, constitutional scholar Jonathan Turley, he says that in order to file an appeal, the courts require a deposit for the full amount of the damages or a bond covering the full amount. It can be challenging enough for many companies drained from years of litigation. For Donald Trump, the demand is $355 million plus $100 million in interest. That could force a fire sale on properties to pony up just the deposit. Well, James said that she'll just take his stuff. If he doesn't have the funds to pay off the judgment, then we will seek judgment enforcement mechanisms in court and we will ask the judge to seize his assets, end quote. Well, Turley went on to say, by making the fine so large, Ngoran not only makes an appeal difficult, but could guarantee that Trump will lose tens of millions even if his judgment is dramatically reduced or tossed out, which some scholars suggest it will be. And while this harsh penalty is solely based on the defendant's last name, other businesses considering investment in New York may decide not to take that chance. Costs, taxes, regulations, and crime are all lower elsewhere already, and there's now a risk of being mugged by the legal system. Um, So why would you come to the Big Apple? Well, New York Governor Kathy Hochul is aware of this, telling other businesses this week that there's nothing to worry about because other people and businesses are very different than Donald Trump. Well, the process is the punishment here, and if Trump somehow loses on appeal, then all the better. It seems clear to Ngoran deliberately inflating the judgment, not because the case merited it, but as uh, to make the process all that much more painful. And it certainly has been that. Well, Trump has about a, a little more than three weeks to decide on an appeal. Will the uh, team appeal at the federal level on the Eighth Amendment grounds? And would a federal court even take that up? Well, that remains to be seen. It's not a done deal. And as for the New York appeal, that's also a uh, pretty much of a crapshoot. Part of Ngoran's judgment was a conclusion of fact that Trump defrauded banks and real estate companies. That's unlikely to be overturned. It's also unlikely uh, that a higher court would toss the case on the grounds of selected prosecution, even though everyone knows that is exactly what happened. 
Thus, any appeal would largely end up being the two sides haggling over the price of the fine. Well, there's no question that Trump is up against a rigged and two-tier justice system run by um, his uh, Democratic opponents, particularly the attorney general. But here's the worst news. Rigged or not, the defamation and real estate cases combined with battles to remove him from state ballots and four felony indictments for 91 counts put Trump in a very real fiscal and legal um, uh, peril. So it's not clear how this will impact his uh, aspirations to hold office again or for his uh, personal finances. We'll continue to follow that story. What explains the fact that the number of attacks against churches doubled last year to more than 430 incidents? Well, Gary Bauer points out that many Christians in America are painfully aware of the horrible persecution that's inflicted on our brothers and sisters overseas by hostile governments and Islamic supremacists. But what many don't seem to realize, and that's because it's simply not covered, is that there's a growing hatred and violence against Christians here in America. And if it isn't stopped, outright persecution isn't far behind. A shocking new report from the Family Research Council, we touched on it a week or so ago, which um, he led 10 years ago, or for 10 years up to the present, should set off alarm bells in the American church. Well, the report covered all kinds of violence over the last six years, including arson, bomb threats, vandalism, and even shootings. Sadly, there's a clear pattern. These attacks are not isolated incidents, and they're happening with greater frequency every year. For example, there were 55 incidents of hostility toward churches in 2020. In the year 2021, there were 96 incidents. In the year 2023, 200 attacks. Well, one explanation for why the number of attacks against churches doubled from 2021 to 2022 could be the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. That triggered a, a wave of violence from pro-abortion extremists. But what explains the fact that the number of attacks against churches doubled again last year to more than 430 incidents? Make no mistake about it, this violence is motivated by unhinged forces on the political left. That's why it gets so little attention from the left-wing media. That's why the attacks in Texas and Tennessee by transgender individuals against Christians disappeared so quickly from the headlines. Nothing to see here, folks. Intolerance uh, routinely smears uh, Christians as the American Taliban and Christian nationalists. They accuse us of being a threat to democracy. They hate us because we believe in the sanctity of life because we believe marriage is the union between a man and a woman, and because we believe in the biological, scientific reality that a person's sex cannot change. Regardless of surgeries or hormones, you will always be one or the other. And as we've uh, repeatedly warned, the persecution of Christians is not just violent acts. Increasingly, it's coming from radical government policies that seek to marginalize and punish people of faith, whether it's peaceful pro-life activists or parents just trying to raise their children according to their values. Well, in other news, there's a major legal battle taking place in Arizona right now, highlighting the left's abuse of government power to crush Christians. In 2021, the Biden administration launched a jihad against Grand Canyon University. It is the largest Christian university in the United States. The Department of Education challenged or alleged that GCU defrauded students by failing to accurately disclose the costs of its doctoral program. Well, last year, Biden's education department hit them with an unprecedented $37 million fine, the largest fine ever levied by the department. You would think that they would have a good cause for that extreme penalty, but just like Donald Trump's unprecedented New York trial where no one claimed they were defrauded, the department didn't cite any student complaints in the lawsuit 
lawsuit against GCU. Now, it appears that these neo-Marxist bureaucrats are following the old Soviet tactic of identifying a target and then making things up in order to punish them. But that is not all. The uh, Biden Federal Trade Commission is also targeting the university with another lawsuit. I'm pleased to report that attorneys for the conservative Goldwater Institute are fighting back. They're suing the federal government for all communications and any documents that may explain why federal bureaucrats are uh, persecuting GCU with such draconian fines. Well, the Goldwater Institute attorneys, they noted how ridiculous the $37 million fine is, given that Penn State and Michigan State were fined $2.4 million and $4.5 million, respectively, for covering up sexual uh, abuse that was serial. By the way, Biden's Department of Education is also threatening Liberty University, America's second largest Christian university, with a $37 million fine. Coincidence? I don't think so. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're just working our way through some of the stories of the last couple of days. Um, while Joe Biden is refusing Super Bowl interviews and struggling through two-minute online videos, Donald Trump is holding big rallies and town hall events all across America. No big surprise there. Well, Tuesday night, he participated in a town hall event in South Carolina with Laura Ingram. Some of the highlights? Well, the former president challenged the current president to a debate, saying, I'll do it right now, adding, I think you have an obligation in this case, as many as necessary. I could do it starting now. Well, an audience member asked the former president how he would reassure undivided voters that a second term wouldn't be about revenge and setting, settling old scores. And Trump replied, I don't care about the revenge thing. My revenge will be success. Well, asked about possible running mates, Laura Ingram identified a very impressive list of contenders that included Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Trump said that they were all on his list. On the multiple, uh, multiple efforts by the left to destroy him, he said it is a, a form of Navalny, the Russian dissident who was recently found dead. Uh, it is a form of communism or fascism. These are vicious people, end quote. He also pointed to another situation in New York City. Not long ago, Mayor Eric Adams warned that Biden's open borders would destroy his city. But then the Biden administration went after him, Trump said. I'm not even blaming the mayor. I think the mayor has sort of been told to take the back seat because they uh, came after him violently. They came after him like they were going to indict him when he started speaking up. And now he's become quiet. These are fascists we're dealing with, end quote. Uh, we're in uncharted territory and at risk of losing our liberty. As uh, was noted, the neo-Marxist left is using the power of government as an iron fist to fundamentally transform America into a radical secular socialist country with totalitarian tendencies to stamp out all dissent. Every one of us has to redouble our efforts to bring one person, a friend or a family member, our way in this critical decision year of America and include encourage them to the poll to go to the polls. Now polling shows that disengaged or reluctant voters are generally conservatives who support Trump. Their votes could make the difference and we need every one of them this November to end the Biden-Harris regime. Well, or to place at least someone else in office. We shouldn't underestimate the criminal and 
even revolutionary potential that exists because of uh, the president's open borders and unprecedented mass migration into the U.S. Last week, New York City police officers were attacked again when they tried to arrest someone at a migrant shelter who wasn't authorized to be there. Law enforcement professionals say that vicious gangs in Venezuela and elsewhere already operating in the U.S. are recruiting from the vast numbers of single male migrants of prime fighting age to be their soldiers. Gordon Chang, an expert on communist China, is warning that a Chinese army walking across our border is being pre-positioned inside the U.S. Now Europe is facing the same danger. Germany is is reporting an emergence of a new hard left street group, meaning street fighters called Migrantifa, or something like that, a merger of migrant and anti-fascists actions. Thousands of its followers demonstrated in Berlin recently, blending anger over Israel's war against Hamas with alleged German racism against the massive migrant influx in that country. Their main goal is classless society, which historically usually ends up with successful individuals being killed. And finally, special counsel Robert Hur's report triggered a national conversation about Joe Biden's age and mental acuity, and it's really triggered uh, Joe Biden. While Biden remains um, reminds us almost daily that his age and health are serious concerns, voters really need to be focused on his policies because it's policies, not gaffes or mean tweets, that matter most. Well, in other news... In recent years, there has hardly been a single aspect of American life that has avoided being a force-fed, the sexually focused philosophies and activism of the LGBTQIA plus community. Schools, government buildings, businesses, flagpoles, libraries, restaurants, parks, and every kind of public space or building you can imagine, all of them have been decorated with pride and trending the transgender flag du jour. Well, it's becoming nearly impossible to find children's cartoons without messaging about sexual sexuality imposed somewhere in the dialogue of animated characters. Business owners and their employees are often expected to display some kind of symbol or engage in training that instills activism in the very fabric of their organization and forces them to show their allegiance with the LGBTQIA issues or face boycotts, cancellations and all types of threats. Well, this movement of supposed diversity, equity, and inclusion has repeatedly exposed its agenda loud and clear. No space, no building, business, or family is safe from participating in their chants, cheers, and ideology, and no one will escape without publicly celebrating its latest fetish or perversion. Churches, sadly, are no exception, as one particular stunt showed. While scheduling funeral services for the prominent and recently deceased New York prostitute, Uh, Drag queen and gender equity uh, counseling founder Cecilia Gentili, local rainbow activists decided that the only site that would suffice for these funeral services would be one of the nation's most famous churches, Midtown Manhattan's St. Patrick's Cathedral. And though there are claims that Gentili was baptized as a Catholic, it has been noted in several articles that his belief system had since turned to atheism. Well, the event attracted more than a thousand of the city's arguably most well, perverse inhabitants, which was evident by what seemed the extra effort made by many in the audience to wear outfits as far removed as possible from what might um, reasonably be expected for weekly mass services as explicit and, well, as one can imagine. Well, the crowd showed up in daring outfits, the New York Times wrote. Attendees wore glittery miniskirts and halter tops, fishnet stockings, 
uh, sumptuous fur stoles and at least one boa sold from what appeared to be $100 bills. The conduct during the event was about as indecent and unholy as the clothing choices. In place of prayers and silence were shouts, cheers, and literal screams accompanied by pleas to whoever was listening for community and to be loved and understood. The blasphemy continued through a series of eulogies provided by a few of the guests, which included references to Gentili as the mother of all whores and similar terms of endearment. As the story made its way across social media, many were understandably baffled as to how this event could have been allowed in St. Patrick's at all. Well, the answer came when it was discovered that upon booking the funeral, many important factors about this person's identity and practicing beliefs were withheld and that the only information provided was that he was a Catholic. It would be safe to assume that the organizers intentionally hid the identity of the one who was Uh, They were honoring in order to gain access to a place that had not yet been desecrated by their signature public displays of debauchery and depravity. By doing so, they achieved their goal of defiling one of the more beautiful expressions of American history and values while doing everything they could to drive God out of it. Well, dishonestly and trickery was, were just the tools being used within the uh, toolbox. Their attempts to assure us that all they want is to feel loved and accepted is nothing more than manipulation tactic, an effort to appeal to kindness and humanity that is common amongst those who believe in and worship God. Indeed, they will use whatever don- uh, doors rather they can open as a gateway to overhaul every decent and moral aspect of American society. Now, if I were to tell you some of the statements that were made, some of the displays that were there, they would be inappropriate for me to speak of on radio. And yet that's what took place at St. Patrick's Cathedral at this memorial service. Well, the United States vetoed a pro-Hamas resolution at the U.N. Security Council yesterday, calling for a permanent ceasefire between Israel and the Islamist uh, terrorist group. And that's pretty good news, despite some of the statements made by the president just days ago. The bad news is that there are multiple reports indicating that the president, the administration, is pushing in its own resolution that still attempts to force Israel into a temporary ceasefire, which will result in enormous pressure on Israel to maintain the uh, the ceasefire. Moreover, the resolution reportedly calls on Israel to refrain from eliminating the final Hamas brigades in Rafah and again pushes the idea of a two-state solution, Israel and Palestine living side by side in peace, which, by the way, Palestine has rejected uh, for the last decade every time it's been suggested. Make no mistake about this, there is virtually no support in Israel for a Palestinian state right now, nor is there one within the Palestinian Authority. To prove the point, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu submitted a resolution to his cabinet on Sunday. The cabinet, uh, composed of a coalition representing multiple Israeli parties, voted unanimously to reject international diktats regarding a permanent settlement with the Palestinians. That pretty much settles that. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Biden's uh, brother, James Biden, uh, he doesn't have uh, any documentation to back up his claim that payments he and his wife made to his brother in 2017 and 2018 were loan payments. A source familiar with James Biden's closed-door testimony 
on Wednesday said, well, James Biden testified in his opening statement that although his brother provided short term loans, he wasn't involved in and did not benefit from his family business dealings, which are the main focus of the Republican impeachment inquiry into the president. Well, James Biden said he repaid his brother within weeks when he obtained the money he to pay him back. His brother also did not charge him interest on the loans. James Biden said he provided, according to the uh, the source. Well, James Biden testified that he called a law firm to obtain money for the loans from his brother's bank account. He said he didn't know if the money came from Joe Biden's personal account or from the a Celtic Capri, the president's corporation, according to the source. Well, in 2017 and 2018, James Biden and his wife, Sarah, they wrote two checks to Joe Biden for a total of $240,000. The checks were classified as a loan repayment, though critics of the president have suggested that they show that Joe Biden benefited from the foreign business deals his brother was involved in. The committees have uh, asked about these loans fr- from my brother. They were short-term loans that I received from Joe when I when he was a private citizen, and I repaid them within weeks, James Biden said. He had no information at all the source of the funds I used to repay him. The complete explanation is that Joe lent me money, and I repaid him as soon as I had the funds to do so. Sarah Biden wrote a $40,000 check in September of 2017 to Joe Biden from her and her husband's personal bank account. Before she sent it, their personal account uh, received a $50,000 cash infusion from their business account, bank records show. Well, Sarah and James Biden's business accounts received $150,000 from Joe Biden's son, Hunter, shortly after the tr- they, uh, he transferred $400,000 into his own business account. The funds to Hunter Biden came from Hudson West III, the uh, joint venture Hunter and James Biden set up in August of 2017 with Chinese energy conglomerate CEFC. Well, before the Hudson West III agreement, CEFC, uh, the Bidens and uh, their business associates negotiated a proposal known as Sinohawk that was supposed to um, launch with a $10 million of seed capital, former business partners Bobolinsky testified earlier this month. Well, James Biden also testified that Hunter received a diamond from CEFT chairman during Joe Biden's vice presidency and another one in February of 27, uh, 2017, the source familiar uh, also said, well, James Biden denied participating in the Sinohawk deal until he was shown his significant his signature on a business agreement. Afterwards, he changed his story to say he could not recall signing that agreement. James Biden characterized Bobolinsky as a bully and disgruntled business partner upset about the Hudson West 3 deal. Bobolinsky contested this characterization when he testified. The second check in question is connected to James Biden business dealings with defunct rural hospital provider AmeriCorps. James Biden made his brother central to his pitch to AmeriCorps and even floated adding him to its board. Political reported on Sunday based on interviews, internal documents, court filings and other public records. On March 1st, 2018, AmeriCorps wired James Biden $200,000 and he proceeded to write his brother a $200,000 check on the same day. A complaint filed against James Biden's by U.S. uh, trustee Carol Fox classified that $200,000 payment and another $400,000 payment from AmeriCorps as loans. Well, Fox testified in December and couldn't uh, specify James Biden's role at AmeriCorps. The firm wired Biden an additional $10,000 in June of 2018 for consulting and marketing purposes. Fox told lawmakers she couldn't find documentation of any consulting or marketing agreement between AmeriCorps and James Biden. Well, during his testimony, 
the um, brother of Joe Biden, James, disputed Fox's characterization of the $600,000 payments from AmeriCorps and listed the services he provided for the company. He noted that he eventually agreed to a settlement and paid back $350,000 to AmeriCorps uh, in uh, cash. However, James Biden doesn't seem to have paid back substantial loans given to him by other business associates. Michael Lewitt, a former AmeriCorps associate being investigated for fraud by the Securities and Exchange Commission, loaned James Biden $225,000 and forgave the entire sum. Also, former Biden fundraiser Joseph Langston loaned James Biden $800,000 and only got half that money back. Langston testified, a source familiar to National Review reported. Langston was uh, sentenced in 2008 to three years of prison time for conspiring to bribe a judge in Mississippi. James Biden also stills one, still owes rather $100,000 of a $900,000 loan from longtime Biden associate John Hynanski. Well, James Biden defended the CEFC venture and his business dealings with AmeriCorps in his opening statement. He insisted Joe Biden and his name had no influence over the business dealings with either company. And presumably a judgment will be made as to whether or not that information is true and verifiable. In other news, former President Donald Trump says he's ready to face off with the president on the debate stage. He was commenting uh, he has the commanding front-runner status for the 2024 Republican race. On Tuesday, he reiterated his call for Biden to debate him this year as the two move closer to a rematch of their 2020 presidential election face-off. Asked by host Laura Ingram during a Fox News town hall uh, held in Greenville, South Carolina, if he challenged the president to a debate, Trump quickly answered, I'll do it right now on your show. I'll challenge him right now. There is some question as to whether or not there will be debates Uh, in the um, running up to the general election. A former FBI informant charged with living about, uh, rather lying about a multi-million dollar bribery scheme between a Ukrainian energy company and the Bidens had contacts with Russian intelligence officials, prosecutors said on Tuesday. In court filings, prosecutors said Alexander Smirnov admitted during an interview before his arrest last week that officials associated with Russian intelligence were involved in passing a story about the president's son, Hunter Biden. They said Smirnov's uh, contacts with Russian officials were recent and extensive and said that he had planned to meet with one official during an upcoming overseas trip. They said Smirnov has had numerous contacts with a person he described as the son of a former high-ranking government official and someone with ties to a particular Russian intelligence service. They said there is a serious risk that Smirnov could flee overseas to avoid facing trial. Prosecutors revealed the alleged contact as they urged a judge to keep Smirnov behind bars while he awaits trial. In other news, the Remington Gun Factory, nestled in New York's Mohawk Valley, is ready to uh, shutter its doors and move to Georgia after more than 200 years in the Empire State. 208 years of history. Gone, gone, gone. Uh, The New York mayor, John P. Stevens, told the New York Times, uh, Lion is Remington, Remington is Lion. 
Remington, the nation's oldest gun manufacturer, told union officials late last year that company chiefs of Rim Arms, the current version of Remington Arms, made the decision to end its New York manufacturing come March. The remaining operations located in uh, Lyon will move to Georgia, where company leaders say the firearms industry is supported and welcomed. Residents of the New York Village will be located roughly 230 miles northwest of New York City, are bracing for the manufacturer to officially move, which some say will take part of the town's identity with it, and certainly employment. And House Speaker Mike Johnson is facing growing pressure from both sides of the aisle to deliver some kind of plan for Ukraine as the second anniversary of Russia's invasion approaches on February 24th. The topic has become a lightning rod within the GOP with a growing contingent of populist Republican lawmakers voicing skepticism about the U.S.'s involvement in the conflict. Some have gone as far as to threaten Johnson's leadership role if he held a vote on Ukraine aid. But mainstream Republicans and Democrats still argue that it's in the country's best interest to help Kyiv remain independent of Russian President Vladimir Putin and that helping defeat the authoritarian leader is critical to avoiding a wider, more intense conflict. Well, that pressure took on a new significance over the weekend when Russia announced it had captured the Ukrainian city of Avektika uh, after Ukrainian forces, low on ammo and personnel, retreated. It was the first significant gain by Russia in months. Well, California's budget crisis is projected to expand more than previously thought and could hit a record deficit of $73 billion dollars According to a new report from the state's nonpartisan legislative analyst's office, well, the office laid out the grim forecast in a Tuesday report that cautions that a $24 billion erosion in revenues corresponds to the $15 billion increase in the state's budget problem. Due to this, the budget deficit, which last month was estimated to hit $58 billion, could now be as high as $73 billion. The actual increase in the state budget problem will depend on a number of factors, including formula-driven spending changes, most notably Proposition 98 spending requirements for schools and community colleges, the report said. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news coming up at the top of the hour. Stay with us. We'll return with more. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. We're just taking a look at some of the news stories from the last couple of days to catch you up. Well, both sides in Georgia's high-profile election interference case involving former President Trump are preparing their final arguments over whether Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis should be disqualified over her personal relationship with a special prosecutor on the case, Nathan Wade. Well, after a dramatic-filled two-day hearing on the motion to disqualify Willis, the public is now waiting for the next steps. Well, first up is an in-camera hearing with Judge Scott McAfee and his uh, defense's so-called star witness, Terrence Bradley. Now, a source confirmed that this hearing has been set for Monday, February 26th. Now, Bradley could barely get a word out during his testimony last Friday as lawyers for the state, as well as Bradley's own lawyer, both called out objections to nearly every question. Well, the argument centered on whether Bradley's testimony would violate client attorney privilege since he was Wade's divorce lawyer for the time, for a, a period. Well, Anthony Christ, a law professor at Georgia State University, described the little information Bradley was able to share in open court as 
basically a dud. However, what is said between closed doors in the upcoming hearing could change that. The judge is likely to determine whether Bradley's answers actually break attorney-client privilege and how much uh, weight to give um, any testimony that ends up being admissible. And after that, a final hearing is expected during which the state and defense will summarize their evidence and present their uh, their final arguments on that issue. Multiple sources said that this will likely be scheduled for sometime next week, beginning with Monday's hearing and then sometime following, but an exact date is still being finalized. Well, Christ pointed out that there's been no clear precedent in this case and that it, it, all, uh, it all comes down to what standard of ethics the Judge McAfee applies. So it will be interesting. And of course, this is the uh, Attorney General who pursued uh, legal charges against Donald Trump. GOP lawmakers on Wednesday accused James Biden of contradicting himself during his testimony about his brother's supposed business dealings with the family. And as I mentioned earlier, he had no documentation. The president's brother initially said that he was not part of a deal with his nephew Hunter Biden and business associate Rob Walker, Tony Bobolinsky and James Gallier according to the source familiar with the interview. But when presented with an agreement with his signature on it, well, Biden changed his story, saying he didn't recall signing that agreement, but apparently he had. Representative Andy Biggs, a Republican out of uh, Arizona, speaking to reporters after the interview, said it was interesting and that Biden had uh, contradicted himself. Well, that conclusion was shared by Representative Matt Gates from Florida, who told reporters, let me say this. So there are a lot of things that Mr. Biden is saying that are directly contradicted by documents, end quote. Well, the lawmakers' comments come after James Biden's voluntary private interview on Capitol Hill as part of the Republicans' impeachment inquiry into his brother, President Joe Biden. Former President Trump indicated that at least a half a dozen contenders, including three former rivals for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, are on his short list for running mate. I'm just wondering who on earth would want to be President Trump's number two. I, I don't know. Well, the commanding frontrunner for the GOP nomination had plenty of praise for one of those potential candidates who joined Trump at uh, Fox News Town Hall on Tuesday in his upstate uh, South Carolina city. Well, during the uh, program, which ran on Fox News, the Ingram Angle, Trump was asked about how uh, half a dozen potential running mate choices, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, multimillionaire biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, South, Carolina, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Representative Byron Donalds of Florida, and former Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii, a Democrat turned independent. Are they all on your short list? Host Laura Ingram asked the former president. They are, Trump answered. Honestly, all of those people are good. They're all good. Interesting when um, the governor was on his blacklist. They're all solid, he went on to say. Trump has a history of making comments off the cuff, and many of in his political world see DeSantis as Trump's running mate as a stretch since the two of their camps blasted each other for over a year before the Florida governor suspended his 2024 campaign last month, just ahead of the New Hampshire primary. DeSantis endorsed Trump at the time, but has not joined him on the campaign trail in the ensuing weeks. In fact, DeSantis was also in South Carolina on Tuesday for an official event and didn't team up with Trump. Ramaswamy, who has long been a strong supporter of Trump's America First agenda, dropped his White House bid last month after his Iowa caucus and endorsed the former president. He was teamed up with Trump multiple times since then and campaigned on behalf of Trump in South Carolina on Tuesday. Scott, the only black Republican in the Senate, 
suspended his presidential bid in November and enthusiastically endorsed Trump in New Hampshire last month. He has also joined the former president on the campaign trail in South Carolina the past two weeks. Scott, as uh, he arrived in Greenville at the convention center, received a warm welcome from a large crowd of mostly Trump supporters in the audience. A lot of people are talking about this uh, gentleman right over there, Trump said, and he's pointed out to, uh, to Scott. Uh, who will be sitting in the front row of the audience. He's been such a great advocate. I have to say this is a very positive way. Uh, Tim Scott, he has been much better for me than he was for himself. I watched his campaign, and he doesn't like talking about himself, but boy, does he uh, talk about Trump, the former president said of Scott. I called him, and I said, Tim, you better, uh, you're better for me than you are for um, yourself. Of the other three on the list, the Trump, uh, rather, Trump, Acknowledged the conservative Nome is a longtime strong Trump supporter and surrogate, as is uh, Donalds, a black congressman on the right uh, who is the top Trump ally in the House. Gabbard, who served in the Iraq War and ran unsuccessfully for the 2020 Democratic presidential nomination, became increasingly critical of her party after she left Congress. Two years ago, Gabbard became an independent and has become a favorite among conservatives. The Trump town hall was held four days before Saturday's Republican presidential primary in South Carolina, where polls indicate Trump maintains a very large double-digit lead over his last remaining major rival, former U.N. ambassador and former Palmetto state governor Nikki Haley. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky in an exclusive interview on the front lines, touted major victories since the war with Russia started and refused to discuss any plan B for his forces. Well, during these two years, they occupied the Kharkiv region, and now we are in this region, Zelensky said. The chief political anchor and executive uh, editor of Special Report, Brett Baer, in an exclusive interview, we unblocked the Black Sea, now we have their... Uh, grain routes, etc., and destroyed a lot of their ships in the Russian fleet, he added, that we did during two years. Yeah, the last year was mostly complicated for us. What's been done, I think, was a good job. Bear traveled 700 miles across Ukraine, taking a 12-hour overnight train to Kiev and spending seven hours in an armored truck to Kharkiv, uh, followed by another four-hour drive before reaching Zelensky on, a, on the front lines. Zelensky sitting just half a mile from Russian forces and speaking while artillery fire could be heard in the distance, praised the work of his forces and their incredible grains in contrast to Russia's single achievement, and that was taking the town of Avdivka, the biggest gain in nine months for Moscow. The second war in the second year, rather, of Russia's war proved tumultuous as Russian President Vladimir Putin staved off rebellion from his most trusted ally, and then Moscow had to offer incredible incentives to convince Russians to enlist and replenish their diminishing forces. Zelensky refused to consider the lack of Russian progress any indication of a new page in the war. Bear reported that Ukraine has likely lost around 100,000 troops during the two years and described the Ukrainian forces as war-weary, but still determined. A New York State appeals court has denied an attempt by the New York City leaders to implement a law that would let non-citizens vote in local elections. In a 3-1 ruling issued on Wednesday by the Appellate Division for the Second Judicial Department, the body said that the law violated the New York Constitution and Municipal Home Rule. 
It must be declared null and void, the court said in a 43-page ruling. The law was passed in December of 21 by the city council and created a class of municipal voters comprising non-citizens who reside in the city for at least 30 days before an election and register or pre-register to vote. Municipal voters would be granted the right to participate in elections for mayor, public advocate, comptroller, borough president, and councilor members or council members. The law faced legal challenges almost immediately and uh, now has been thoroughly discredited. We're going to continue to work our way through some of the day's headlines, but we do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, President Biden's team is going on the offensive following the Robert Hur report in his latest attempt to combat what they feel has been negative and inaccurate media coverage of the president. And some reporters in the field aren't impressed. White House counsel spokesman Ian Sams, he sent a letter to the White House Correspondents Association complaining that news outlets were uh, misreporting the findings of the special counsel's report on Biden's handling of classified documents. Sams took issue with reports that said Biden willfully mishandled classified documents, the Associated Press reported on Wednesday. Special counsel Robert Hur didn't recommend charges against the president following a months-long investigation into Biden's handling of classified materials. He argued that Hur's decision to not press charges nullified the idea that the president willfully retained classified materials, according to the letter he posted on social media. Kelly O'Donnell, the president of WHCA, pushed back on the letter and argued that the White House's concerns should have been addressed in reaching out to the um, specific news organizations. It is inappropriate for the White House to utilize internal pool distribution channels, primarily for logistics and the rapid sharing of coverage, need-to-know information, to disseminate generalized critiques of news coverage. O'Donnell said the Biden White House and campaign have also criticized the focus of Biden's age and memory. As hers report said, a jury would find the president to be a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. T.J. Ducklow, the Biden campaign spokesman, was highly critical of the media for focusing on the president's age and argued Americans deserve reporters who also cover former President Trump's comments and policy uh, positions with the seriousness and ferocity they, uh, this moment requires, the AP reported. Well, that statement lamented on the focus of Biden's age and claimed there was an overall lack of coverage of some of Trump's recent controversial statements about NATO. A White House reporter said of the pressure campaign, they can spin away, but the special counsel broke the seal. It's fair game now. The Independent Women's Forum revealed the trailer and details about a new documentary series exposing the reality of housing biological males who identify as transgender with females. The series, titled Cruel and Unusual Punishment, the male takeover of women's prisons, uh, will consist of multi-episode interviews with various insiders, prison guards, and female inmates on the impact of forcing biological women to share facilities with transgender women, also known as men. Each episode will be approximately 5 to 10 minutes long and available for free on IWF's YouTube account. IWF Director of Storytelling Kelsey Bolar explained that the project was born out of a desire to take a stance in this fight and be a voice for current and former female inmates who, sadly, don't have a voice. She added, once you hear these stories, I think it becomes pretty clear that there's nothing tolerant or inclusive about these policies. In fact, they are actively discriminating and endangering women. 
Donald Trump's passion for America shines during a town hall that we've made reference to. The former president, uh, he called his recent New York civil uh, fraud case and $354 million fine a form of Navalny on Tuesday, just days after Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny died in a penal colony at the age of 47. Trump proceeded to pull a copy of the Eighth Amendment out of his uh, pocket before reading the section which states excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted to applause from the audience, a friendly audience. Donald Trump says his revenge will be the success of his administration and goes on to suggest that he has multiple rallies planned in New York after the $350 million ruling against him. My revenge will be my success. Trump's challenges Biden to presidential debates as well. Uh, Biden has yet to answer that challenge. Meanwhile, illegal immigrants in New York City assaulted a number of police officers Tuesday after refusing to comply with orders at a taxpayer-funded shelter. The latest assault comes after a number of illegal immigrants violently beat two New York police officers in Times Square nearly three weeks ago. Migrants attacked NYPD cops, making the arrest of a New York City Randall's Island migrant shelter something of a repeat event. Russian authorities have detained a woman who is a Los Angeles resident and dual national on suspicion of treason for raising funds to support Ukraine in its defense against the Kremlin's invasion. The Russian Federal Security Service in the Ural Mountains city Uh, said early Tuesday that the unnamed 33-year-old woman has dual Russian-American citizenship. The White House said it was working to secure consular access. Since 2022, she was involved in providing financial assistance to a foreign state in activities directed against the security of our country, the statement said. The statement added that the uh, suspect collected money for the Ukraine war effort that was spent on medicine, equipment, weapons, and ammunition. No other details nor description of any evidence were released. In addition, in the United States, this citizen repeatedly took part in public actions in support of the Kiev regime, it said. Treason is punishable by up to life in prison under legislation toughened since the start of the military offensive. Several U.S. nationals are currently imprisoned in Russia, including Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gerskovich, who was arrested last year on espionage charges that he, his employer, and the U.S. government have rejected as baseless. Former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan has been in prison in Russia since 2018, serving a 16-year sentence on espionage charges. A Russian court on Tuesday rejected a complaint by U.S. reporter Evan Gerskovich about the extension of his pretrial detention until March the 30th on spying charges, which he denies, the court press service said. Gerskovich, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, was detained by the Federal Security Service, or FSB, on March 29th in the Urals city on charges of espionage that carry up to 20 years in prison. The decision means Gerskovich will spend at least a year in jail following his shock arrest in March of 2023, the first time Russia had arrested a Western journalist on espionage charges since the fall of the Soviet Union. The U.S. has designated him wrongfully detained. Utah school districts have been advised not to disclose child transitions to their parents. Well, two Utah school districts are encouraging staff to conceal students' gender transitions from their parents. Policy manuals distributed to teachers and staff by the Nebo and Alpine school districts instruct teachers and staff not to notify parents or guardians after a student asks to be referred to by a name or pronouns of the opposite sex outside of certain limited circumstances. 
Newbo instructs students, or rather staff, to heed the ACLU's guidance, which is very protective of a student's right to privacy in his or her sexuality, and adds that school employees should only notify parents if a situation exists which presents a serious threat to the well-being of a student pursuant to Utah state laws. Otherwise, volunteering known information about a student's sexuality with parents is not advised because apparently parents are a danger. The district's uh, practical tips for interacting with transgender students resource states. A female basketball team forfeit a recent game against a team with a trans player due to injuries. A girls' high school basketball team forfeited a recent game after three players were injured including one who was allegedly hurt during a play involving a six-foot male player on the other team who identifies as female. The Collegiate Charter School of Lowell in Massachusetts forfeit its February 8th game against the KIPP Academy at um, halftime with Coach Kevin Orton's deciding to end the game as his roster was getting depleted four days before a playoff game, the school said. The uh, KIPP Academy... um, Girls team has a male player with facial hair on its uh, its roster who identifies as female. The local Massachusetts outlet, the Daily Item, reported and refuses to confirm the player's gender identification. Trans-identified male player um, injured three girls before halftime, causing the Lowell Collegiate Charter School to forfeit. A man hitting a woman used to be called domestic abuse. Now it's called brave. Who watches this and actually thinks this is compassionate, kind of inclusive? Well, apparently some do, sadly, at the expense of those who are injured. Alabama's Supreme Court has ruled that frozen embryos are children under the state law and subject to legislation dealing with the wrongful death of a minor, stating that it applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location. The court issued this majority decision in a lawsuit brought forth by a group of in vitro fertilization patients whose frozen embryos were destroyed in December of 2020 when a patient removed the embryos from the cryogenic storage unit and dropped them on the ground. Alabama voters in 2018 agreed to add language to the Alabama Constitution that state policy recognizes the right of unborn children. Supporters at the time uh, said it would be a declaration of voters' beliefs and would have no impact unless states gain more control over abortion access, which following the overturn of Roe v. Wade has become the case. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the headlines over the last couple of days. This just came in. The New York judge presiding over former President Donald Trump's civil fraud case has denied his legal team's request to avoid paying the $355 million penalty in that case. Trump lawyers uh, had asked the judge, Arthur N. Gorin, to delay enforcement of the repayment by uh, 30 days to allow the uh, Uh, to allow time for an orderly post-judgment process. In an email to the defendants posted on Thursday to the court docket, and Gorin said they had failed to explain, much less justify, any basis for a stay. I am confident, he went on to say, that the appellate division will protect your appellate rights, he wrote. Well, last week, Trump was barred from operating his businesses in New York for three years and was found liable for $355 million in damages in the civil fraud case brought against him, his family, and the Trump Organization by New York Attorney General Letitia James, who is facing her own legal challenges. Uh, Two hearings expected next week on that. Well, the United States is the sole country 
uh, to veto the U.N. proposal calling for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. The Wall Street Journal reports that the U.S. vetoed the Algerian proposal at the United Nations Security Council that called for a humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, in Gaza, saying that a cessation of hostilities without securing the release of hostages in Hamas's captivity would only prolong the conflict. The U.S. circulated a draft resolution ahead of the vote, calling instead for a temporary ceasefire in Gaza as soon as practicable and in tandem with the release of all hostages taking on, taken on October 7th as the Biden administration increasingly clashes with the Israeli government over the conduct of the war. U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield told the council that proposals akin to the one advanced by Algeria on Tuesday aren't conducive to substantive peace and would instead empower Hamas and deprive Israelis and Palestinians of the security, dignity, and freedom they desire. The U.S. was the sole veto against the Algerian proposal. Tuesday's vote on that proposal, that uh, measure, came ahead of an anticipated Israeli offensive in Rafah, the south, uh, southernmost city of Gaza, where more than a million and a half Palestinians are crammed with no um, no clear evacuation route. The negotiations over a hostage release and humanitarian pause have failed to achieve a breakthrough. Two additional men have been charged in the deadly Super Bowl parade shooting in Kansas City. Two men charged with murder for last week's uh, shooting um, at the Victory Parade in Kansas City, the prosecutor said. A woman died and 22 others were injured during the shooting, which police said stemmed from the two men arguing the charged men, identified as Dominic Miller and Lindell Mays, were both shot and wounded during the incident. Two teenagers were charged with gun and resisting um, arrest violations. Uh, Prosecutor Jean Peters Baker of Jackson County said at a press conference on Tuesday that the two men had been charged with second-degree murder, two counts of armed criminal action, and unlawful use of a weapon. The New York Post reported that a total of four people have now been charged in that deadly mass shooting. Nancy Pelosi and former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, they pushed the debunked Russia collusion hoax even now. The former House Speaker is revamping false allegations against the former president just in time for the 2024 presidential election. During an interview with former uh, Biden press secretary Jen Psaki over the weekend, Pelosi claimed Russian President Vladimir Putin has something on Trump, likely financial. She also said Trump didn't view uh, being president as an honor and that he failed to uphold his oath. Inside with uh, Jen Psaki, she said, we're all wondering, what do you think Putin has on Trump? Nancy Pelosi said, I don't know what he has on him, but I think it's probably financial. The New York Attorney General will seize Trump's properties if he refuses to pay the $355 million fine or if he's unable to pay it in the time he's been given. That will be a story to watch over the next very few days. Meanwhile, Illinois wants to change the definition of abused child to include parents who deny gender-affirming care. That's what they call it. We're talking about surgical mutilation or the ad, um, administration of drugs. A recently induced bill in the state of Illinois would change the definition of abused child to include minors whose parents object to their children receiving puberty blockers, blockers rather, cross-sex hormones, transgender surgeries, and abortions. If you don't want your kid to have an abortion, you are abusing your child as your child abuses their child. 
House Bill 4876, which was introduced in early February, also shields doctors from liability if they prescribe such treatments to minors who do not have parental consent and empowers the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services to step in and, if they deem it necessary, remove children from their biological parents based on this new definition of an abused child. Wow. Parental consent for puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries will not be needed. And get this, doctors shall not incur civil or criminal liability for failure to obtain valid consent or professional discipline for failure to obtain valid consent if the healthcare professional relied in good faith on representations made by the minor. And they are so reliable. Pritzker and the uh, Democrats think your children belong to them, they observed. Incredible. A Catholic uh, couple in Indiana is asking the Supreme Court to hold the state accountable for keeping their child out of their home after they declined to use his chosen name and pronouns. In MC and JC versus Indiana Department of Child Services, Mary and Jeremy Cox are appealing to the Supreme Court after they were investigated by Indiana officials for refusing to refer to their son using pronouns and a name inconsistent with his biological sex. Beckett is pursuing the case on behalf of the uh, uh, the Coxes, um, the parents um, of the, the child, arguing state courts allowed Indiana to keep the child from living in uh, his parents' home due to their disagreement with the child's gender identity because of their religious beliefs. Notably, upon completing the investigation, the state determined the allegations of abuse against Mary and Jeremy were unsubstantiated, but still argued that the disagreement over gender identity was distressing to their child. Children are distressed all the time. That's why they're disciplined. They're taught. Catholic Indiana couple appeals to the Supreme Court after their child was taken from them, after they refused to refer to him as their pref- by his preferred pronouns, utter insanity, but coming to a court, to a community near you, I would venture to say. An assistant principal of a Florida school said in remarks in a recent hearing that it is appropriate for an eight-year-old child to read about pornography and dirty magazines. Garrett Jones, the assistant principal of Terwilliger Elementary School in the county school district in Florida, made the revelation in a hearing last month. The hearing centered around a book that was offered to students that discusses a transgender child's gender identity. The book, Melissa, was previously published as George and discusses intercourse, transgender procedures, among other things. In a video from the hearing, Jones was asked if eight-year-olds should be able to access books referencing dirty magazines and pornography. He said yes. Uh, Garrett Jones, assistant principal for an elementary school, says he thinks it's appropriate for eight-year-old kids to be reading pornography and dirty magazines in school. Not just reading them at all, but in school. President Biden canceled $1.2 billion in student debt for 153,000 additional borrowers. This will only increase tuition for others. Well, the president's administration is set to forgive another $1.2 billion worth of student loan debt for nearly 153 people. Now, to clarify, to forgive a loan in this context means that others will pay for that loan. It doesn't just mean it dissipates into thin air. It will be paid by those who did not benefit from the loan. The White House announced Wednesday its latest debt forgiveness plan will benefit people enrolled in the Savings on a Valuable Education or Save Repayment Program for borrowers who have been repaying student debt 
for at least 10 years and took out $12,000 or less in student debt. The SAVE plan is an initiative launched by the White House in August to expand income-based student debt repayment options at an estimated cost of $475 billion over 10 years. Well, after the Supreme Court blocked Biden's sweeping student loan forgiveness plan last June, his administration has explored all of its existing authority to leave people with less educational debt. It has now canceled debt for more than 3.9 million borrowers, totaling $138 billion in relief. So now the average American taxpayer has a student debt. The State Department backed a memo urging staffers to use woke language. They defended a memo from the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, this month that urged staffers to steer clear of gendered language such as mother and manpower. I mean, how offensive is mother? If you look at that memo, as um, I have, it's a standard government practice to try to encourage people to just be respectful to others and use the terms with which others are comfortable and talk to people the way that they would like to be addressed. And nothing more than that, the State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said during a press briefing. When speaking, avoid using phrases like brave men and women on the front lines, Blinken uh, said in his February 5th cable. Instead, state staffers should use more specific language such as brave first responders, brave soldiers, or brave DS agents. While Miller downplayed the cable, it appears to be part of an ongoing effort by Blinken and other Biden administration leaders to inject woke left-wing identity-based activism into the federal bureaucracy. Well, we'll keep our eyes on that. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, Britain is being held down by economically inactive citizens. It's a new term. This is the dropout generation. If we're not getting what we want, we walk away. When we can't be bothered, we walk away. Well, academics have identified a curious phenomenon called quiet quitting, whereby employees stay on the job, they just do less of it, having neither the will to climb the ladder nor the energy to hop off. Britons are having less sex, marrying later, if at all, and putting off babies for good, causing populations to, str- to shrink. The replacement rate is circa 2.1 babies per woman. In South Korea, it's 0.78. Well, European uh, conservative writes that after around two decades of being told that mass immigration is good for the country, essential, in fact, to keep it afloat, Britons have been informed that jobless uh, legal migrants have cost them almost $24 billion in just four years. Well, this amount has been paid by taxpayers since 2020 to cover the costs of services and accommodation for economically inactive individuals who have moved to Britain and are neither in work nor looking for work and so are not contributing to the economy. Well, Iran has given Russia ballistic missiles to use in Ukraine. Iran has provided Russia with a large number of powerful surface-to-surface ballistic missiles, deepening the military cooperation between the two U.S.-sanctioned countries. Iran's provision of around 400 missiles includes many from the Fatah 110 family of short-range ballistic weapons, such as the Zolfager. Uh, Three Iranian sources said, well, this road mobile missile is capable of striking targets at a distance of between 300 and 700 kilometers or 186 to 435 miles, according to experts. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin, his invasion of, of Ukraine is seeing newfound successes as resources dwindle for some Ukrainian defenders. Russia announced this weekend that it had captured the Ukrainian city of 
Avdikvka, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly, I apologize, after Ukrainian forces low on ammo and personnel retreated. It was the first significant gain by Russia in months. Well, Illinois' mayor is under investigation by the FBI for misconduct and abuse of power. The FBI is probing self-described super mayor Tiffany uh, Hinyard over mounting accusations of misconduct and misuse of office as the Illinois attorney general shut down her charity on Tuesday. The eccentric mayor, whose face is plastered across billboards in tiny Dalton, Illinois, is accused of spending taxpayer money on lavish and unnecessary trips and forking over $1 million on a police detail, then using them to retaliate against her perceived enemies. Lawrence Gardner, 57, said he visited an FBI office um, after Hinyard shuttered his uh, trucking business because he refused to renew a $3,500 political contribution. Well, Americans are spending most... Uh, the most on food in 30 years. Eating continues to cost more, even as overall inflation has eased from the blistering pace consumers endured throughout much of 2022 and 23. Prices at restaurants and other eateries were up 5.1% last month compared to January of last year, while grocery costs increased 1.2% during the same period. Labor Department data show relief isn't likely to arrive soon. Restaurant and food company executives said that they still they're grappling with rising labor costs and some ingredients such as cocoa that are only getting more expensive. In 1991, U.S. consumers spent 11.4 percent of their disposable personal income on food, according to data from the U.S. Agriculture Department. More than three decades later, food spending has retained that level. In 2022, consumers spent 11.3 percent of their disposable income on food. Well, President Biden is buying more votes in what appears to be little other than a campaign move to garner more votes for the uh, president from recent college graduates, graduates rather, the administration announcing that it will cancel more student debt. The White House teased a new Russia sanctions following the sudden and untimely death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny in the Siberian penal colony last Friday. The administration is promising to follow through on a warning it gave Vladimir Putin back in 21 that Russia would face devastating consequences should Navalny die in custody after he had been arrested on dubious charges. The mainstream media is ignoring the wave of church attacks. We tend to hear a lot of reporting on those rare instances when one of the favored constituencies uh, and the and fellow Democrats is attacked, but we mostly get crickets and tumbleweeds when uh, institutions being targeted fall outside the protective umbrella of special interests. Did you know, for example, that the attacks on U.S. churches more than doubled last year? Well, neither did we. But as the Washington Times reports, incidents of arson, vandalism, and other hostile acts against U.S. churches rose to at least 436 last year, more than double the number recorded in 2022. This seems newsworthy, but apparently it's not. The Times continues, In releasing the sixth Hostility Against Churches report during the 24 National Religious Broadcasters International Christian Media Convention, the Family Values Advocacy Groups said the figure... Uh, is more than eight times the number of incidents recorded in 2018 when it began tracking such incidents. As for the mainstream media news embargo, it's almost as if they hate organized religion in general and Christianity in particular, almost as if they view it as a threat to the supremacy of the state. Three-quarters of big cities are near insolvency. 
No one has ever accused government of fiscal responsibility, and that's especially true of big cities. After all, they run almost exclusively by one end of the political spectrum, and if they run into financial difficulty, they can always petition their friends in the federal government to bail them out. Perhaps that helps explain why, according to a truth and accounting analysis of the latest financial reports, 53 out of 75 of our nation's largest cities didn't have enough money to pay their bills in 2022. As the Daily Fetched uh, reports, uh, TIA found that the 75 largest cities in the U.S. had $307.4 billion worth of assets available to pay bills, but their debt totaled $595.3 billion. Uh, the analysis also noted that pensions and health care accounted for the majority of the debt. As the Center Square adds, all 75 cities are required by law to have uh, balanced budgets. Instead, they used accounting tricks, including inflating revenue assumptions, counting borrowed uh, money as income, uh, understating the true costs of government, and delaying the payments of current bills until the start of the next fiscal year so they aren't included in the budget calculations. It's a nice scam um, if you can carry it off, and apparently many of them have been able to do just that. Well, a non-citizen has been appointed to the San Francisco Elections Commission, demonstrating the leaders in California are committed to elevating globalism over and against national sovereignty. A non-citizen Chinese national was sworn in as a member of the San Francisco Elections Commission. Last Wednesday, the Hong Kong-born Kelly Wong became the first non-citizen appointed to the commission as reported by the local public uh, news. Wong, who came to the U.S. in 2019 seeking a graduate degree, is an immigrant rights advocate. The Board of Supervisors President Aaron Peskin further exposed the globalist goal as the California leftist as he praised Wong, stating, I'm very impressed by her commitment to enfranchising people who rarely vote to educate people about the voting process and to bring in non-citizens and get them the tools they need as they become citizens. Now, that's a presumption that they become citizens. But at the time this involvement would take place, they would not be citizens, nor is it required that they become. A watchdog cried foul over the Biden administration's indigenous knowledge. Well, we probably don't have time to go into it, but it's a fascinating story we'll pick up on another day. We are out of time, and I do want to uh, thank Dave King for engineering, James Blend for producing, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you will join us here again tomorrow as we'll take a, well, a little different look at the news. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.